Hello and welcome to the Ori Spotlight Podcast. We're talking to leaders across the cell and gene therapy industry and telling you more about Ori's mission to manufacture brighter futures. I'm Jason Foster, the CEO of Ori Biotech, and I'll be your host for today's podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Ori Spotlight Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Foster. With me this week, we've got Eminem from Inceptor Bio, Matt Haynes, the VP of Manufacturing Ops, and Mike Nicholson, Chief Scientific Officer. Thanks for joining me, guys. Glad to be here. Thank you. Great to be here. Really exciting uh, news coming out of Inceptor. Been following you guys for better part of a year and obviously know Shalesh and Abe, some of the founding team. Mark Bamforth as well, I think, sits on your board of directors. So certainly great, great expertise added to the team and, and can't wait to hear more about what you guys are doing. Mike, I might start with you if you don't mind. Um, love to hear a little bit about your background, what brought you, kind of how you ended up at Inceptor, what, uh, what got you excited about cell and gene therapy and uh, regenerative medicine? Uh, sure. So I'll, I'll go back uh, a little ways in, in terms of background. So I actually did my, my PhD in a virology lab. During that time, thought I would, I would actually get into vaccine development. And in fact, uh, after my PhD, I did a postdoc at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill at the Carolina Vaccine Institute, where we were working with alpha viruses for making vaccines and vaccine adjuvants. And even though I definitely saw a potential there, both in vaccine development and, and potentially academics, uh, I had the opportunity to leave that postdoc to join uh, a, a, a biotech startup called Precision Biosciences. This was back in, in 2007. So I, I had the opportunity to, to join there as the first non-founding employee. It was a gene editing company, still is a gene editing company, that was using those tools uh, ultimately in, in gene and cell therapy. So I, I spent uh, about 13 years there helping grow that team from five to uh, about 220 or so. We got a, a couple, couple uh, cell therapies in the clinic. And uh, gosh, took the company public. It was uh, it was quite a journey those thirteen years. Uh, so I kind of came to a point there where I had accomplished what what I thought I could with that company, and, and they are doing continue to do great work now. But I was ready for my next opportunity, so I had a, a brief stopover at a uh, a contract bioanalytical uh, shop called Biogelytics, where I, I led uh, gel gene and cell therapy bioanalytical development uh, for for just a, about six or seven months. Um, and then came another great opportunity with the Scepter Bio. Um, I, I remember actually, I, I saw the post on LinkedIn and uh, saw it was another startup in here in North Carolina looking to do uh, cell and gene therapy. And it, uh, it matched my background. And I, I got in touch with the uh, head, of, head of IP and, and legal and had a couple conversations. And it was just about a year ago this week, in fact, that I, uh, that I joined the company. Awesome. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not allowed to uh, to say that I like Chapel Hill because I went to University of Virginia. So, but uh, I do. <laughs> Chapel Hill's a great town, and and super exciting uh, stuff going on in Inceptor. Give us a little bit of, of background uh, before we jump to Matt, just about what Inceptor's focused on and kind of how the company got put together. Sure. So, Inceptor is a really interesting story, and I think is a, a culmination of, uh, of a lot of years from a lot of people. So. Um, it was founded by our CEO and co-founder, co-founder uh, Shalesh Mangi, uh, who you mentioned, you, you know, presumably through his consulting days. So Shalesh has a, a long career in uh, in the CDMO space, uh, spent the, the beginning couple decades of his career at Millipore, Sigma, Cardinal Health, uh, Cognate, I think, was, was doing really uh, heavy in CDMO world. And then about 15 years ago, opened up a consulting firm. Through that work, he has uh, helped dozens, of, if not in the hundreds of companies at this point, uh, kind of figure out some of the challenges getting getting their companies growing and scaling and delivering on uh, on, on their promises. 
And in the last couple of years, I, I think, you know, he started to realize that he was collecting all of these learnings on, uh, on, on struggles and, and some of the challenges that, that uh, startups face and, and started to think about uh, putting together one of his own. Uh, he had also become involved in some investing um, and had, had gotten used to seeing cutting edge technologies and kind of put all of this together and, and thought, you know, that, that he had the opportunity to, one, have some good access to some great technologies, to build up a company and then bring along uh, some folks that, that have, have been here and done this before. So we started the company uh, in the spring of uh, 2020. Uh, and really for, for the first couple of months, it was mostly he and uh, uh, Abe Mangi, our, our head of business operations, and uh, Kyle Kimball, head of legal. And the first thing they were doing was, was bringing in technologies. And that's a key to, to our model. What we are doing is our nuanced take on, on the so-called hub-and-spoke model, if you will, where, where we're actually uh, building up multiple platforms that are, are at least on paper in the form of, of companies. Uh, we're really treating them as internally held programs now, uh, but are, are setting them up so for, for maximal flexibility. Um, so what, what we are doing is working with uh, leading universities to license in exciting technologies right now in cell, and therapy, uh, cell therapy for oncology. Um, we, we have licensed in technology for a, a CAR-T uh, program, for a CAR macrophage program, and then also uh, we're beginning work in CAR-NK as well. And fundamentally, our approach is, is that, that we believe that we are on the 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 early stages of, of cell therapy impacting cancer. I mean, obviously, we've, we've seen great success in CAR-T with liquid tumors, but we think uh, that there's plenty of room for, for growth and opportunity. We also know that as as we learn more about how these therapies work, that um, it, it's going to take multiple shots on goal. It's going to take multiple effector cells. And, and so really, we are, are pushing as many as we can um, in, in the name of taking as many shots on goal as we can and finding the right uh, effector cells for the right tumor types and even, even stages of disease progression. Mm-hmm. And is there a, is there a geographic focus? I know your your focus kind of in or you're geographically located in the southeast, kind of RTP, and now in Florida, I believe. We'll talk to Matt about the new facility you just just purchased. But is there a geographic focus, or is it kind of looking for opportunities wherever they might be? Give me a little bit more about the kind of unique USP, because I'm thinking about other maybe similar organizations like an Elevate Bio or you know traditional CDMO businesses. But you guys are a little your flavor is a little bit different. It sounds like. Our flavor is a little bit different. Uh, so, so I would say our, our reach is uh, absolutely national at this point uh, and, and will eventually be global. So we, we've got a, a very robust outreach program to get involved with universities. Um, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a process that we've been refining over the last year. Uh, and, and effectively, we are, are scouring tech transfer offices for uh, anything that we think might be applicable for, for cell therapy. Um, to date, we have uh, assessed over 600 technologies. Um, some of those just means we've, we've read the, the one-pager from the tech transfer office. A lot of those we've actually spoken with, with the PI, uh, the, the academic inventor. Um, and, and that represents, uh, I think, over 80 universities at this point. So in terms of, of what we've licensed in, so far we've licensed technology, uh, in fact, from around the corner at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, my, my old alma mater and stomping grounds. But our, our second one is licensed from University of California at Santa Barbara. Um, so we are, you know, the first one happened to be in our in our backyard, but we are, are definitely looking uh, wherever the technology is. And I think that's also key to our model is, is we are we are open to a lot. Um, you know, what, what we have seen is that for, you know, faculty members at, uh, you know, Harvard or Stanford or, or Yale or, you know, some of the, the, the elite institutions, so-called elite institutions, 
you know, if you've, if you've got a, a well-known name and a couple of high-profile publications, it's pretty easy to get VC money. Um, what we're recognizing is there's actually great work happening at UC Santa Barbara that doesn't really have that attention uh, that, that VCs are, are typically focused on. So we're really, um, you know, less focused on, on the, the names involved and much more focused on the technology. Great. Oh, that's, that's useful to understand. Matt, coming to you, uh, I don't want Mike to hog all the limelight here. That's uh, Obviously, you're, uh, you're part of the team that helps the rubber meet the road, and, and you guys are in your role in manufacturing, manufacturing operations. Love to know a little bit about your background and how you ended up at, at Inceptor and the role you're in now. Yeah, well, that, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> you know, originally, I was uh, kind of drawn to the excitement of uh, the industry, the cell and gene therapy industry. And um, having, you know, the you know, looking back at how the industry has evolved from, you know, small molecule, you know, uh, older technology, I guess, more traditional big pharma stuff. Uh, and it grew into, you know, biotechnology, uh, MABs and other proteins. And then this, you know, newer, exciting shift into cell and gene therapy, which was like, you know, another radical change in, you know, how we can treat diseases, what diseases can be treated and, you know, what patients can expect, um, you know, as the outcome, right? So it was very exciting to know that that technology is still really, like, as Mike mentioned, a lot of this stuff is still really early. And I, I you know, I was very excited by it. Um, you know, uh, what brought me to Inceptor Bio really was the team, Shalesh, our CEO, and uh, Mike, you know, and the rest of the team, and, and the mission, you know, the mission to cure cancer, you know, really was, uh, you know, exciting to me, you know, the team has like, you know, really good skill sets and, um, you know, very committed to this, uh, you know, to our cause. So, you know, that really drew me into it. And, you know, in addition, I think in some of these, uh, you know, newer technologies, it, my experience in the cell and gene therapy world, you, it's really easy to connect to the patients, you know, you're treating these, you know, terrible diseases and you, uh, you know, you really get, it's the closest I've ever been to, you know, the actual you know, uh, outcome for patients being, you know, so visible and so, uh, impactful. So, you know, kind of once you do that, you know, it's kind of a life, life changing event. So, you know, that, that drew me in and then, you know, you know, meeting the team and, you know, their, uh, the skill level and kind of inspiration, uh, made me, made me really, uh, you know, want to join in separate bio. It's been exciting so far. And, you know, the startup, uh, kind of world is not for the, uh, you know, for the faint of heart. Uh, and, uh, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of challenges. Um, you know, it's, it, most people look back and say when they did these kind of things, it's maybe the hardest they've ever worked and probably also the most fun they ever had. Um, you know, at the time, time just blows by. So you, there is a little bit of a, you know, draw once you've experienced that there's kind of an ad adrenaline rush and a, a draw to do it again. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. No, I, I, I vaguely remember the kind of two and a half years ago before I joined Ori where I had much fewer gray hairs and, and uh, got a lot more sleep, but uh, know exactly what you mean. Um, Matt, I think you've been recently, if I believe the news flow, you guys have acquired a new facility and I'm interested, I think that part of your work uh, is involved in kind of getting that up and running, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, we did recently acquire uh, a Florida facility. It was a, uh, a former microbiome uh, plant, um, you know, our, you know, we were, it's very important to us as an organization that, you know, we build out our, our, uh, manufacturing capabilities. So that kind of gets us off of, or de-risks us, uh, 
you know, in the industry, you know, controlling our own manufacturing capability allows us to get our stuff to, you know, into patients uh, as soon as possible. So, you know, in this crazy um, supply chain world, post-COVID world, you know, trying to do your own greenfield or, uh, you know, even shell space uh, fit up, you know, there's a lot of complexity and a lot of risk to, you know, bringing those one of those projects, uh, you know, online in a in a reasonable amount of time. So, you know, this opportunity came, um, you know, it was a microbiome facility. It had a lot of great assets, you know, uh, clean room space, you know, state of the art, you know, modular clean room space also came with a lot of talented people. So, uh, you know, uh, and a lot of transferable skills and support equipment, you know, a lot of things that we could, um, give us a real boost and kind of, uh, make our probability of success for bringing the plant online, you know, and the, the manufacturing capability online a, a lot better. So it really gave us a, a, you know, kind of a shot in the arm and, you know, took a lot of things off of, uh, off of critical path for us, which was great, a great opportunity, you know, and it was also, you know, really, uh, you know, capital efficient. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. If I understand correctly, you're sort of splitting your manufacturing across multiple sites. Is that right? So you've got kind of R and D maybe focused in in the kind of RTP area and doing more of your GMP or focusing more of your GMP attention in that that Florida facility. Is that right? Did I get that right? Yeah. Well, we have a, we have a research and development uh, facility or capabilities that we're building out in Research Triangle Park. Um, you know, we're expanding those capabilities now. Um, and then we have our, our AMP plus, which our you know, advanced manufacturing platform is going to be in the Gainesville facility. We will also have, you know, development capabilities, uh, in the Gainesville facility as well, you know, analytical development process development in there as well. So, you know, that gives us, you know, that's a real kind of advantage for us in some ways, because, uh, in securing a disaster recovery type scenarios, right? Like, you know, one, one, another thing we learned during COVID is, you know, things are regional or local and you could have, you know, dramatic changes in one area, uh, and be unaffected in another. So it gives us a little bit of redundancy, uh, where, you know, if we, if one of our facilities gets, uh, slowed down a little bit, we can shift some stuff, uh, to another facility. And it also really kind of helps us to, drive this, you know, part of our, you know, part of our overall manufacturing capability or, or plan is where we get to a commercial scale, you know, large scale manufacturing, you know, we're not really building that, that capability internally. So we have to make this like tech transfer a core competency for us. So being able to transfer geographically from, you know, North Carolina to Florida, like we have to build that core capability. And, you know, this is one way for us to, you know, ensure that we're building that capability and we're not finding out when we go to commercial scale or something that we really aren't very good at transferring products around. Yeah. No, I think, uh, we all know that tech transfer is one of the big pain points in in the industry, and that kind of you know from preclinical to clinical is is pain painful, and then you know from clinical to commercial scale is even more painful. And you know part of our our USP as a platform is to really help um, people like yourselves that are developing these incredible therapies to to do that easier. You know, with the push of a button, if you can take some of the people out, you don't have to spend the three to six months on training and documentation with stacks of you know quality materials here and there. You can do it all in the cloud and you can make it much more digital focused. And curious how you guys are thinking about kind of the, the your next move, the next generation. Uh, by, by its very design, it's, you know, you're taking, I guess, early stage ideas and programs in and then your intention is to 
stand these com- these these up as companies themselves. So so tech transfer becomes a fundamental part of what you need to do, right? So you incubate it to a certain state, and then it stands up on its own two feet. Maybe it I don't know resides uh, in your facilities for a period of time, but but not forever. So I think it's fundamentally different, probably than the way most organizations are thinking about it, where they're probably either in in licensing uh, and then keeping it in-house, or maybe they're going to a CDMO or there's, you know, some other directions of travel. Mike, what's your thought on kind of, you know, in your, in your perch for as the CSO about how does that work? How does the engagement work with those early programs? And then when does it make the most sense to you? What's the kind of end goal for you guys as you look at this, uh, the next kind of three to five years? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's uh, it's it's an evolving process for sure, and and one that we are intentionally going into with with, with the idea of, of maintaining flexibility. So, you know, one of the one of the big challenges and also big opportunities with with pushing multiple effector uh, platforms is is of course that the challenges they're all different, right? And that the the specific skill set, especially as we think about some of the biology, um, you know, macrophages are not T cells; they they are very different. We are we would be foolish to assume that by putting a car in them, you know, they become a, a similar car product. They're not, um, and and we recognize that. Now, having said that, w- we also recognize that to do this efficiently, to do this um, in, in a in, in the, 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 the kind of scale we're envisioning, we also need to find places where where there are synergies. And so, obviously, that's one of the reasons for the manufacturing play is is trying to find opportunities where where manufacturing, uh, whether it's it's individual steps or you know com- complete processes, where where they can be similar enough that we can actually build platform manufacturing. Um, to Matt's point, that's going to help us uh, transfer you know both internally, potentially externally, and set us up. Again, for for if uh, it becomes the right choice for some of these companies to stand up independently, we we will you know hopefully be able to make that transition a little bit a little bit easier by focusing on on commonalities where where they exist, and that's going to be one of the the biggest challenges and I think uh, biggest opportunities, and, and frankly one of the reasons we're also very interested in uh, talking with with cutting edge manufacturing uh, companies that that have devices and instrumentation that, that might be able to help us, uh, you know, do, do multiple cell lines in, in similar packages. Um, in, in terms of, of, you know, how we're growing these companies, again, right now, uh, the, all, all of the, the, the programs are, are set up on, on paper as individual LLCs. So they are, are standalone companies. They're all operating under the umbrella of Inceptor. Uh, it's our R&D team, our PD team, our AD, you know, everybody's working on these projects. Um, I think it, it will ultimately come down to uh, what makes the most sense to get this product into the clinic and then hopefully ultimately to a commercial product. And that's that's fundamentally our, our goal. And even as we're assessing technologies, you know, one of the first questions we, we think about is, do we actually believe this can be turned into a manufacturable product? Right, that we we see a lot of technologies that are bells and whistles, and and it's neat, and you know we 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 have to resist the temptation of of just doing interesting things that we think might just be science fair projects, uh, and really have to be pretty pretty brutal about uh, that culling process for for narrowing it down to ones that we think are going to be manufacturable products, and and that's also part of recognizing that for these companies to grow and and spin out, you know we can't spend fifteen twenty years trying to figure out how to manufacture them. We need to be able to, to move quickly on them, be able to generate clinical material to get into phase one studies as fast as possible and, and see if the technology has legs. Absolutely. I mean, you make a, a critically important point there and one that I've talked to Anthony Davies and a couple, you know, Bob Preddy, some of our other guests on the podcast is, you know, that that question, that uh, stage gate of manufacturability uh, is a huge one, you know, and, and you know, Anthony's 
comments or advice was think about manufacturing from the very beginning, you know, from that very early clinical sta- uh, preclinical stage. And it, it brings up another point, and obviously some of our conversations between Ori and yourselves have focused around, you know, how do we build out that, help you build out that platform that's scalable, that's flexible, giving your companies uh, the best chance at being, you know, stood up and, and smoothing that tech transfer piece. Um, but one of the things that, uh, that this question sort of tick, uh, ticks off in my head is, you know, what, what is the goal? You know, for me, the uh, when I talk about this issue, uh, I think there's an unfortunate misalignment often with early stage research and kind of let's call it the 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 end of the lo- the line the kind of greater public good the idea of how do we you know democratize access to these incredible therapies and that you know I'm not sure that every academic uh, lab out there is really thinking about this from the very beginning you know what what's your thought I mean it's, for me success for the industry. Uh, really looks like you know we can we can measure it by the number of patients successfully treated. I think that is probably the ultimate benchmark in my view. Um, but I'm curious to kind of what your thoughts are. You're obviously dealing with a lot of PIs out there, a lot of academic institutions. You know, what's their view on this, and and where do we how do we build a bridge so that we can bring more of these therapies to patients at scale? Yeah, that's a that, that's a, a big question. That might take the, the remainder of our of our time here. So we'll start with the academics. You know, the the thing we hear over and over again, because one thing we invariably ask as we're learning about these technologies, we'll ask them. You know, what do you see? What do you want to do with this? And and the answer we hear over and over again is that they all want to see the work they do turn into something useful for patients. I mean, to, to a person, that that is some version of the answer we hear. Um, now, obviously, and, and that's the reason they're engaged with us because I think they they also recognize that, you know, in, in their world, actually their job is to write papers and get grant funding and continue to, you know, hire, hire students and postdocs so they can write more papers and get more grant funding. Um, and they understand that. And that's, that's, that's their business and, and that's fine. Um, but, but they all really, again, the ones that, that we speak to, ultimately they say, I just want something in my lab to turn into something that's going to help patients. So I think they are, they are coming from the right place. Now, the, the challenge is, what gets grant funding and papers aren't necessarily the things that are going to be best for patients. And, and again, refer to my, my previous comments about bells and whistles. You know, what, what gets papers and grants is novelty, uh, are, are new things that nobody else has tried. And those rarely think about the practicality of, of actually making it into a product. So that's where we come in and, and, and ideally, you know, can help translate some of those great inventions into something we think is manufacturable and, and something that can be turned into a, a drug, if you will. For us at Inceptor, we proudly say it, our, our goal is to, to treat and cure difficult to treat cancers through cell therapy. Now, of course, we're, we're a business and that means we have to you know, pay people and pay rent and, and do all of that stuff. But, but fundamentally, our goal is to not become a billion dollar company or a $5 billion company or to have X dollar revenue. The goal is to to treat patients with difficult to treat cancer. Now, that does bring into mind, I think, one of the keys to our model is is recognizing, and and we've all seen this over and over again, that that when companies are built around a single drug or a single platform, it's very, very difficult to let go of that. And we see good money thrown after bad all the time. We have seen drugs that didn't do well in phase one, phase two, still get pushed into phase three even though I think we all know it's not going to fail. We've seen drugs that, and, and I won't name names here, but have been approved fairly recently that the general consensus is 
they're not that good. And so I think that's where there is definitely some misalignment on how companies are, are pushing assets and why. And really for us, that's that's fundamentally one of the reasons we are building multiple platforms is we want to be able to follow the science. And if at some point the science tells us that the platform is not working, then we'll stop working on that platform. We don't want to be in the position where we are only pushing things because we've made promises to investors about hitting milestones. For us, it really is about coming up with products that will be helpful and accessible. You know, I think that's that's where I'm I'm very eager as we think about the the whole allogeneic versus autologous approach for CAR T. All right, well, how is that actually going to translate to the cost of these drugs? If we've got these allogeneic companies, and uh, I used to work at, at one that you know is making hundreds of doses from a batch, then would we expect to see the the cost decrease by a hundredfold. It's not linear, but it, it'll be interesting to see how that impacts things like pricing, which ultimately will get around to reimbursement and ultimately will impact, you know, are we actually getting these drugs to patients? Absolutely. So many good messages in there and I couldn't agree with more. It's sort of the the mission of our company is to enable widespread patient access to these new generation of therapies because obviously if we believe that the the benchmark of have we done well or not is how many patients get successfully treated, then we have to get them to patients. And, and market access is a huge problem right now. You know, there's no product today of the initial 20 or 25 products that enjoys wide coverage. They're often very expensive. They're often, you know, uh, hard to access because of that reason. Uh, and therefore, very, very small proportions of the patient populations who could benefit actually get a chance to benefit. So... I think we have we have excellent alignment in our uh, in our goals for the for the future. Certainly, um, I wanted to take a view. And I'll ask both of you to, to comment from your different perspectives, from the scientific angle and the kind of operations angle. Is where are the biggest gaps that you see right now on the technology side, or you know, if we were you know as an industry, the things that we're focusing on, what what are the couple you know gaps that you would identify that would really you think make a big difference in the in the short term? Let's say the kind of three to five year time horizon. I think the gap, we are where we're supposed to be as an industry. This is like a natural evolution, right? They, you know, science proves out a concept. Um, we can treat these diseases. We can change people's lives. But it, it's very expensive to do that. It costs a lot of money to make these products. It's very labor-intensive, all, all the things you guys have mentioned. And then, and then the follow-on to that is, you know, the industry reacts. Companies like Ori, we partner with companies similar to help build more efficient ways to uh, to manufacture these. So we need to drive down the labor costs, right, associated with these manufacturing technologies. You know, similarly, the equipment manufacturers, the suppliers need to drive down those costs, the starting materials. Everybody's been reacting now in a growth mode, right? Like we can't keep up with supply. You know, we can't make enough of these things to keep the industry moving, to keep the science moving. And and we're probably at that point where the suppliers are catching up on the, you know, just getting this stuff available. And now it's about building in all these efficiencies. You know, and I would use the parallel, like if you go back in the um, computing industry, right? Like the first computers were took up a warehouse and they they had hundreds, if not thousands of vacuum tubes and punch cards. It's only been 75 years and you can't even compare, like they're almost infinitely different between the computer you hold in your hand on your smartphone compared to that. A huge chunk of that has been driven by, um, you know, both advances in in the science and advances in the engineering aspects of it to be able to, you know, make things faster, shrink things down. So I think we're in probably in the same spot. What we need is, uh, you mentioned this, you know, 
building platforms, building the manufacturers need to have. Originally, a lot of the equipment and a lot of the materials were built for more closed systems where I want to be able to control everything within my company. I don't want to give you access to you know, digital control systems, right? It's built everything self-contained. And, and probably some of that may have been because it was first generation, you know, more research and development equipment, not really designed for large scale commercial manufacturing. And that's where we are right now in the industry where that shift is happening. And companies are developing technologies with large scale manufacturing capabilities in mind. And I, I think we will drive down the cost. We will get to the point where we can run a farm of, uh, you know, systems that can go end to end closed systems with very little manual input, you know, can run fully automated recipes. If you close up the system, you don't necessarily need to have the same level of clean room conditions, which are very expensive, you know, square footage to maintain in a facility. So ultimately we can, I believe, in partnering with the raw material manufacturers, the equipment manufacturers, we'll be able to drive this down to where it's scalable and you know the costs can come way down. There's even changes like that that are happening on the development side where companies are using AI to like guide their development cheaper, faster, better, more targeted. So I think that's I think all those opportunities exist. And I agree we we need to get aligned on the goal being to deliver these therapies to all the patients. If it only gets to a small number, you know, that's not success. You touched on something that there, Matt, I wanted to cover off with you guys is just, you know, what is the role of digital? I mean, you talked about AI there. You talked about, you know, today's world, uh, as far as I know, pretty much is still paper batch records, you know, lab notebooks. There's, you know, at best we might have a, a, an MES system in our manufacturing facility, but we're really not truly digital. And as you know, Ori is a, a cloud native platform. So we're kind of digital first. Uh, we're putting together a stack with partners uh, like the Trexels and Vanetti's of the world that will allow us to have an end-to-end -end, you know, digital workflow. Um, and how important is that, do you think, to getting to scale? Um, obviously, we've, you know, to, to reach that endpoint, you know, doing one dose for one patient in one clean room and then wiping everything down and then starting over and <laughs> for another patient, that, that doesn't really work. So how do we get to the point where we're able to, uh, to do what, you know, what we're, what we're talking about, which is, you know, high throughput, low cost, high quality manufacturing, how important is digital for that? I think digital is critical to that, right? I think it, it's a lot of non-value activity to have me write something down on paper and then you look at it to confirm that I configured it in the correct format, all this like multiple checks of the same information for things that can be easily uh, enforced in automated systems. And the reviews can be super simplified to where they're on like exception-based review of critical things. I think what's important in that digitization piece, it has historically been only focused on large-scale commercial manufacturing and the systems, you know, you mentioned MES systems. Historically, they have not been all that flexible and they've been developed in their own lane right so it's really the end to end from an enterprise uh, resource system down to the shop floor manufacturing system these things have to be thought of as you know the system and they they have to work together pretty simply and and seamlessly they, they can't be it can't take me nine months to configure a system to get onto an MES or process. So it really has to kind of reach out a little bit more into the R&D world and be developed onto that uh, digital platform quickly, easily, without putting the burden back on, you know, Mike's team to learn how to operate this, you know, systems if they're not intuitive. 
uh, and we need to kind of work our way to developing them onto the platform easier, faster, and then managing the the full platform to be from from end to end, right, vein to vein. Uh, and it can't, you know, it can't be three or four distinct systems. It can't be an ERP system, an MES system, uh, equipment control system, right, a Delta V, or or you know, they all have to kind of work together and. That's where those relationships and partnerships. I know, I know, Ori's trying, you know, really hard to uh, to kind of push for the end to end piece. I, I think that's that is what's going to drive a huge change in the industry. Yeah, as you know, our our chief digital officer Kevin Gordon's working hard on our partnerships because you know what we want to do is offer a pre integrated solution. It, it's not only not Mike's job; it's really not your job either. It's our job to make sure that your technology works when you're trying to run your facility. Uh, and so, you know, with our partners being able to put a pre-integrated solution together that we've tested, we know works, we know you can plug and play and it's turnkey. You know, it's part of the offering to say that we have to make sure the whole stack works together, the hardware, the software, the cloud services, that it all fits uh, in order to solve the solution. Because your job is to make products that's going to save people's lives. Our job is to enable you to do that in the fastest, most efficient way. Um, so, you know, we should definitely cover this off. Uh, Historically, manufacturers, vendors have approached it as, here's how my system works. If you learn this, it'll be great. But I would have to learn four of those, right? Because each system's fully independent. And yes, we can get them to talk to each other, but I have to know how they all work. In a better world would be, you know, the vendor saying, I, I want to understand how you work and I'll make a system that is intuitive and easier for you to deal with. So you don't have to have, you know, a master's degree. And if you, if you go back to the, um, the computing world, I mean, that's how it was in the original computers. Like you had to be a genius to operate one. It was not user friendly and it was not going to reach, you know, the masses until the interfaces became much simpler and easier to, uh, to work with. Mike, on your side, from the scientific perspective, I'm curious what kinds of technologies are getting you excited. You know, uh, Matt alluded in, in our conversation earlier to some of the input costs. Like, and I was thinking immediately viral vector, for example, is one of the, you know, expensive input costs potentially. You know, there's some other transfection technologies that are coming out. Um, you know, what kinds of things are getting you excited on the scientific side that you think might be able to help help us do what we want to do more quickly, more efficiently, uh, and maybe at a lower cost? Yeah, I mean, you, you actually just got got to two of them uh, right there, which is 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 shifting away from from viral vectors into non-viral delivery wherever we can, um, and 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 that doesn't always. That doesn't always make sense, right? I mean, I think it depends on 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 what the payload is, what we're trying to deliver, and and you know what kind of expression we need. But th that's been something in, in four years. I've been interested in non-viral delivery op op opportunities for a variety of reasons. I mean, we we know vectors are are hard to make; it's expensive. Um, it's also one one more biological complexity that we're dealing with. Um, you know, even even when you strip down a lentivirus to really just only do what you needed to do, you still got viral components that are are doing things. You still impacting the genome. So non non viral delivery technologies, I, I think, are uh, are very exciting. We've seen a, a couple of those, and you know, on the one hand, they they seem to be variations on a theme. You know, it's it's newer versions of of electroporation. On the other hand, there's <laughs> some of those nuances are 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 pretty wild compared to where we were just a couple of years ago. So definitely seeing seeing some things there um, that are very very exciting. Then Honestly, I mean, a, a lot of it really does come back to the, the manufacturing platforms. Um, I mean, as we, we think about, uh, you know, looking at CAR-T in the last seven, eight years or so, uh, you know, considering how, what a manual open process it, it began with to now, you know, having some of these, uh, these instruments that are, uh, you know, almost plug in your, your apheresis and, and hit go and, and come back to a CAR-T product, uh, you know, a, a week or so later, um, 
we're, we're, we're looking forward to seeing more great companies come up with, uh, with solutions like that. Yeah. Well, we're, uh, looking forward to continuing our conversations. I think there could be a great, a great partnership between our two companies. One of the things I wanted to ask you guys about is there's this sort of discussion in the industry. We know right now in the autologous uh, focus that we are today, uh, certainly with the, uh, with the approved products, there's a significant amount of the kind of logistical, you know, challenge, time, cost spent moving samples around, taking the, the patient material, collecting it, moving it to a centralized facility, processing it, et cetera, then having to kind of move it back to the patient. And this is something that we think about a lot is sort of this, this uh, conflict between a personalized medicine but doing it at scale. You know, you have you need volume, but it has to be personalized. And so, you know, think about how do we industrialize this kind of idea? Um, and one of the one of the things that gets thrown around a lot and that we're, you know, thinking about quite a lot and working with a few partners on is this idea of decentralized manufacturing. So once we've gotten through the process with our preclinical and clinical work, you know, maybe we're doing clinical trials at multiple sites, or eventually we want to do manufacturing somewhere close to the patient. Maybe we can use fresh product instead of frozen, you know, so it doesn't travel as well. How do you think about that? Do you think that's a realistic uh, goal for us to have? Uh, do you think that's something that, that could add value in the future? Absolutely, and, and I think you're, you're exactly right. Um, and and that's, that's one of the things we're also exploring with with our uh, manufacturing facility in Florida. It's, it's it's very small, actually. You know, we we've heard about other companies that have you know multiple hundred thousands of square foot uh, manufacturing facilities. Ours all in, including office space and everything, is you know thirty thousand square feet. So I, I think the the clean rooms themselves are you know a, a quarter of that. And and one thing we we've talked about is you know if if this works and if we can find you know some of the more plug and play systems like what Ori is developing, you know why not open twenty of these a, across the country uh, over years? And and to, to your point, I mean I think the the fresh versus frozen is significant. I mean we know every time we freeze down cells, we, you're doing bad things, and a lot of them, I mean NK cells don't like to be frozen. Um, so if we can can get away from that, I think that's that's the dream. Now ultimately. You know, I, I think we, we've all heard promises of, of bedside treatments. I mean, and, and I, I know there's at least one company that's that's claiming to basically be able to engineer CAR T's at bedside and and, and reinject them uh, within a couple of days. Um, you know, I don't know how close we are to that in reality, but but I feel like you know we are starting to to see solutions that at least that's not uh, science fiction anymore. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, we mentioned. Uh... You know, the, the expense and the challenge of, you know, clean room systems and, you know, all of the uh, the barriers to being able to start up a facility pretty quickly and simply. But uh, little by little, those are being um, chipped away. So with some of the modular systems, you know, you can companies are working on developing today. You know, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Like Mike said, it's not science fiction anymore that you could basically have a plant in a box that you could drop in somewhere and run efficiently, manufacture the stuff for people. We just have to put the focus on, you know, that in the industry. And I think we can, you know, it's attainable for sure. Absolutely. And as you guys know, some of our work with our partners, you know, GCon and Germfree on the, who have modular solutions in the space, you know, we hope to be able to offer a turnkey solution to our partners so that you can scale up in different places if you need to uh, relatively quickly. You know, you're talking about a three to six month lead time instead of a three or four year stick build. Uh, you know, it's a significant advantage. And with the platform, as we're developing it, the intensification opportunity, that 
30,000 square feet could be all you need. You don't need one of those, you know, 150,000 square foot that can do only a couple thousand doses. There's a lot of square footage there that you're not uh, necessarily getting the most out of. So being able to intensify the footprint and, and use metrics like, you know, what's your throughput per square foot? These are the kinds of things we want to think about to say, well, actually we want to minimize that amount of space that we need to deliver the same number or more, more doses. So, you know, that, that future is super exciting uh, around this idea of a network of, you know, centers of excellence or distributed manufacturing centers that we could actually shorten those vein-to-vein times and get those products back to patients quickly. Um, so very exciting opportunity there. Well, we're coming up to the, to the hour, and uh, there's a couple more questions I have for you, if you don't mind, but just wanted to kind of ask you to kind of pull out your crystal ball, dust it off uh, from under your desk there and see and see what it says. You know, what is what is the next five years, let's say, what does good look like? If you want to go out to 10, you're welcome to, uh, both for Inceptor, but also for the industry. You know, where do you see yourselves being th- at that point? And, um, you know, what will success look like for you uh, in five years' time? Yeah, I, I think I might have to go for the 10-year view. I think, you know, t- 10 years out, we, we would have, I, I think ideally, have, have uh, gotten at least all of our, our major platform approaches now uh, through, through trials and, and hopefully uh, at least one or two, uh, hopefully approaching, approaching BLA at that point. Um, this is going to sound weird, but, uh, but here goes. I think one, one thing that success would look like for, for us and our model is also uh, killing a, a platform or two. I think really to, to prove out our process, I think probably the ultimate would be to, to recognize maybe we, we did bring in a technology that, that isn't quite ready or, or didn't quite offer the promise that it did. And we showed that as a company, you can actually shutter that without you know, laying off massive people, without uh, having to you know, lose a bunch of money, but, but actually you know, continue mm. to grow the company. Uh, yeah. while it becomes part of the process. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So that's a, that's a weird thing to, to wish for, but I, I, you know, I think it would bear out that model. I think industry-wide, gosh, you know, there's one thing that I think a lot about, and, and I don't think it's realistically within the 10-year view, is, is the idea of, of in vivo modification uh, for, for CAR-T or, or CAR, I mean, name, name your CAR platform. I, I, you know, th- I know there are a lot of companies and academics that are, are working on this. Frankly, I, I think we don't understand them well enough to get to that point. Um, I think, you know, the reality is, uh, you know, you'd ask about gaps earlier. Uh, honestly, translational medicine, I, I think, is, is an area that is, is ripe for uh, some serious work, is, is how do we actually look at clinical uh, experience and track that back to the products? How good are our, like, you know, can we actually say, yes, we know why this product worked in this patient and this one didn't in that patient? We, don't, we can't do that right now, and and I think anybody that that tells you uh, otherwise is uh, is spinning a very optimistic uh, take on that. So you know, again, ten years from now, we're going to be able to to make in vivo CARTs. I think we'll absolutely be able to make them. Uh, should we at that point? I don't know. You know, I think by by then, hopefully, we'll we'll be beginning to understand the biology that that is the next step that I think would would no longer look like science fiction. Yeah, yeah, no, it's an exciting future that you know. I hope we get there. I think you're you're. My guess is probably the similar to yours, where we're probably 20 years away from patients really enjoying the benefits of, of those. But still, it would be quite a uh, quite an interesting timeline to get there that quickly, uh, relatively. Um, and Matt, do you have a view on kind of what what good would look like from your perspective? Yeah, I, I share Mike's uh, view that the five to ten year uh, view were were actually have taken things all the way through our our process, right, and develop them for commercial uh, scale. 
and we're probably, hopefully, maybe a second generation, um, you know, of some of these newer platforms that we've partnered with people like Ori to help develop. And you know, we're starting to see some of the fruits of that labor. So I'm, I'm hoping we can get to that uh, that spot where we can see the payoff for some of these uh, upfront investments we've made in you know strategic uh, uh, partnerships. I, I do also agree that the you know the in vivo, you know that's a that's a nice solution, but uh, but I don't think we're we can skip over that step uh, of uh, you know abandoning the things we're doing now because we can really in 20 years we can make a big difference in a lot of people's lives um, you know in the road to get there. Absolutely, yeah. With uh, 10 million people a year dying of cancer, there's plenty to plenty to go at right now. We don't have to wait for for 10 or 20 years to to attack that problem. So, uh, one final question before we go, which is you know who, who out there in the industry would you like to be talking to? Is there I assume if there's PIs with interesting work that they're doing, you'd love to hear from them. Uh, who else? Who else is the kind of partners or or customers or people uh, that uh, Inceptor would like to be in touch with now, just in case they're listening? Wow, that's that's, a, that's an interesting one. Uh, I think the answer is everybody. Uh, I, you know, I, <laughs> everybody I doing honestly, anything interesting, right? I mean, honestly, with with our our university outreach, that that's what we're doing. I mean, we're talking to there are all sorts of of one pages that I've read that I thought this isn't the right fit, but let's talk to them anyway. Because they're 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 doing something interesting. They're thinking a little bit out of the box. Um, so you know, in, in terms of of in, any academic that might be listening, yeah, if you're doing anything remotely related to cell therapy for cancer, we want to hear about it. Uh, might not be a fit. Uh, might not be a fit now. Uh, but but we we are interested in that. And look, every every time we talk to one of these PIs that's that's doing something that I I know we're not going to license, I learn something. Hopefully, we you know we can we can prod them to ask some different questions. So I think uh, certainly there. You know, I think I think the other thing that I'll, I'll mention about Inceptor, um, you know, also part of our our model, again, based on the 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 mission of treating and curing difficult to treat cancers, you know, w- we don't actually have um, the the strong desire to do all of this on our own. For example, you know, part of what's going into our our CAR T program, we would love to license that to other companies to have them pursue it. If, if it's going to help their product, we want to get it in their hands. Um, obviously, we we value our proprietary information, but at the same time. We just want it to work. So if we have something that somebody is, uh, thinks could be helpful for their program, uh, we, we are absolutely open to that. Um, even with our, our manufacturing play, we, we don't intend on doing contract work. But uh, if there are, are biotechs that are struggling with, uh, with, with how manufacturing is going to work for them and, and the challenges of outsourcing, uh, we're, we're very interested in strategic partnerships. Again, not, not for fee, but if there's a, a partnership that we could use some of our excess capacity to help them get their product into the clinic. Uh, we're, we're all about that as well. Yeah, I really, I really agree with that. And, and, you know, we talked about a little bit about building an internal manufacturing capability. We're building a skill set, a capability with manufacturing area. And, you know, for us, you know, that's an opportunity to be efficient with, uh, you know, our resources. It's an opportunity for us to partner with other companies. Not everybody has to uh, build everything, their, their own, you know, internal capability at every step of the way. And there's got to be a lot of early startup companies that are strategically aligned with us that we could really partner together and use the resources efficiently between the, um, the companies. A great message to finish on. Thank you, gentlemen, Matt and Mike from Inceptor Bio. Really appreciate you guys spending an hour with us and uh, look forward to seeing you both soon, hopefully in, uh, in three dimensions next time instead of through our Zoom and, and Teams experiences. But have a great day, guys. Great to see you. Thank you for listening to the Ori Spotlight Podcast. To keep up with the latest in cell and gene therapy and to follow us on our mission to manufacture brighter futures for patients, 
head to the show notes to follow us on social media or visit oribiotech.com.